And uh, we are in the second week of a sermon series on the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And this series is titled New Nature, New Community to capture the essence of what God is trying to communicate to us through the book of Ephesians. Christ Jesus not only changes us inside out, but he also radically transforms the way we engage in community. He not only fills our hearts with deep peace, joy, and and contentment, but he also brings incredible harmony and flourishing in community. And and that's really the central idea of the entire book of Philippians, uh, sorry, Ephesians. Last week we saw, we looked at the first chapter, and we saw that in Christ, we already have every spiritual blessing. And we also saw that we need gospel partners or gospel friends to grow in enjoying that which we already have in Christ Jesus. This week, we're going to be moving into chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at what verses 1 to 10. It'll come up for us on screen, but allow me to read it out. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Going back to the song, when we sung, um, forever you are glorified, forever you are lifted high, what this passage tells us, verse 6, That when Christ was lifted high, we were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. And that's the bit that we must remember every time we sing that song. As Christ was lifted up, ascended into heaven, we were lifted. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's going to be the subject of another sermon. Uh, But let me come back to today's sermon. The passage we read is one of the best explanations in the Bible of what it really means to be saved. And that's what we're going to be looking at, reflecting on this morning. The experience of salvation. What does it really mean to be saved? I'd like to draw out three things for us from the passage. One thing 
we could never do in our salvation experience. Second, three things that God did and is doing in our salvation experience and one thing we can and should do in our salvation experience. So three things. First, the one thing we can never do in our salvation experience. Three things that God did in his salvation, in in our salvation experience. And three, the one thing we should do in our salvation experience. Let's start with the first. One thing we could never do in our salvation experience. Paul starts off this passage by saying, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. He couldn't have put it any more blunt than this. He says, we are dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. And the last time I checked, dead men don't make any choices. Dead women don't make any decisions. And because we were dead, spiritually dead in in our sins, we simply cannot make a decision. We simply could not make, could not have made a decision to follow Christ Jesus on our own strength. And this is the one thing we just cannot do in our salvation experience, which is to initiate salvation by ourselves. We just cannot make the first move towards God in our own strength for the simple reason we are dead in our sins. Not only are we dead in our sins, we were also enslaved. Look at verses 1 and 2 in the passage. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Dead in our sins, we were following the world and we were following the devil, which is the prince, who is the prince of the air. The English word following here is too weak to really communicate what the original Greek was trying to communicate. Dead people don't follow anything. Dead people, no disrespect meant, are shut in a coffin and are taken somewhere. The word follow here, that's what it means. It means we were shut in a coffin and taken away from God. Not only were we dead, not only were we enslaved, we were also totally set against God. Verse 3. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And to put it quite literally, we were hell-bent on living only for ourselves and our selfish desires. And that is at the very core of human sinfulness, at the very core of your sinfulness and mine. In the fourth century, a gifted Christian thinker named St. Augustine did some really, really insightful work in helping us understand what is the deepest essence of sin. What is sin at its very core? Augustine did some cutting-edge work. And 1,200 years after Augustine, Martin Luther, who, who sparked off the Reformation, he did more work on this, and he kind of expounded on Augustine's original idea of what is at the core of human sinfulness. Uh, Augustine and Luther used the crisp Latin phrase, incurvatus in se, incurvatus in se, to capture the very core of human sinfulness. 
incurvatus inse. As the saying goes, I'm sure this phrase is Greek and Latin to you. It's a Latin phrase. Obviously, we don't understand. It's an entirely alien phrase to us, but I can assure us, every single one of us are extremely familiar with what this phrase really means. Incurvatus inse simply translate, translates to curved inward on oneself. Curved inward on oneself. The core of our sins, the very essence of our sin, is every single one of us, we are curved inward on ourselves. The core of our sin is that because we are deeply curved inward in ourselves, we take all of God's good gifts and we even take God himself and we use it for ourselves in a selfish way. Because we are incurvatus in say, we use everything and we serve nothing. We use everything and we serve nothing because we only serve ourselves. The Latin might be alien, but the idea that this Latin phrase is communicating to us is well familiar to all of us, myself first. Aren't we all familiar with this kind of living? Isn't this what we do with our careers? Isn't this what we do with our gifts. You know, I haven't really been active on social media except this past week. And this past week, Ajay and I, we watched the movie Geheraya. Uh, I know opinion is sharply divided on the movie, so I'm not going anywhere near there. Uh, but, but I kind of, I, I felt a few things, and I, I felt that movie was a co- commentary on what's happening in our society, and, and I shared a post on, uh, on Instagram. And uh, I, I kind of expected it, and, and you know the post resonated with quite a few people, and uh, you know they saw what I was trying to communicate, and they found it helpful, and things were going absolutely fine. Uh, the first fifty likes and the first five comments. And that was all about the first fifty likes. It was about Gehraya. It was about the depths of depravity uh, that that movie was kind of mirroring back to us. Things were absolutely fine. First 50 likes, first five comments. As the likes started increasing, 80, 100, the comments started increasing. In my heart, it became less about the movie or the comment that the movie was making, the depths of depravity, and it started becoming more and more about how smart I was and how I, I saw something and I communicated and how what I communicated resonated so well. At the 150th like, in my mind, Gehraya was nowhere in the picture. The depravity of sin was nowhere in the picture. The 200th like, I could see myself with that, with that nice well-built chest, chest, you know, it was all about me. It was not about anything that I was trying to communicate. To be incurvatus in say is to take everything and to make it about myself. To take 
everything make it about myself this is who i am this is your pastor this is who you are every one of you this is the core of humanity from the time of original sin curved inward on myself in 2005 a new yorker magazine took augustine's insights and uh, from the 4th century and, and they did a cover story and they illustrated this whole idea of incubators in say in a in a visual it's going to come up for us on screen and i think this visual really captures where we are curved inward on ourselves we are dead in our sins we were so incurably bent inward on ourselves that in our own strength we could never have looked up to god we could never have taken the first step that's the first thing i wanted to draw out for us from this passage the one thing we can never do in our salvation experience reach out to god on our own strength and initiate our salvation on our own the gospel is god reaching to men that's how our salvation experience begins god takes the first step always and here's the second thing i like to draw out for us from the passage three things that god did and is doing in our salvation experience look at verse 4 but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses god loved us that's the first thing that god did all of us are incubators in say most of us are subtly so but i bet every one of us has at least one friend who is brazenly and unashamedly incubators in say in your face all the time it's hard even to get along with such obnoxiously self self focused people yeah how many of us can can put up with such people you know we 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 avoid them as much as we possibly can don't we well the truth is we are infinitely more obnoxious to god in our in our sins than our friends are to us that's because of god's incredibly infinitely high standard of holiness which is so much more purer than our own we could never truly love such obnoxious people but god loved us while we were dead in our transgressions but god loved us we were still sinners we were dead in our sins but god loved us but god loved us but why why did god love us is there anything in us that is good enough to please him that god would loved us god would love us no nothing at all is there anything in us that god does not have that god needs to love us no nothing at all so if there's nothing in us that god needs or if there's nothing in us that god finds lovable why on earth would god love any of us 
Hang on to that question, please. I'll come back to that in just a little bit. While we were dead in our incurvatus in say, God still loved us. Do you feel the shock of it? Do we feel the wonder of it? Do we always feel the gratitude for it? That's the first of the three things this passage tells us that God did in our salvation experience. First, he loved us. That's shocking. The second thing it says that God did in our salvation experience is that he made us alive. Verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive. We were dead in our transgressions, incurvators, insay, but God loved us and he made us alive. There is a fundamental mistake that many of us make in understanding how exactly we were saved. We all assume that we believed in Jesus and we were saved. We, were, we all assume that we exercised faith in Jesus and we were saved. But there is one step that happens before we exercise faith in Jesus that we are missing here. And that's what this passage is calling us to see. God made us alive. God made us alive or God regenerated us. This step of God making us alive, this step of God regenerating us happens before it happened, before we believed in Christ Jesus. We were dead. God loved us. He made us alive. He regenerated us and he gave us life and he helped us believe in Christ Jesus. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration precedes faith. We were dead in our sins. We could never exercise faith. Corpses, the last time I checked, don't believe in anything. Cannot make any decision. But God loved us. He regenerated us. He made us alive and gave us the gift of faith to believe in Christ Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Regenerating us into faith in Christ Jesus. Regeneration precedes faith. I would encourage you to go back and read John chapter 3. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. What I'm saying, regeneration precedes faith, is pretty clear out there. You see, we think we believed and therefore we were born again. No, 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 no. It was the other way around. God made us alive. He regenerated us. God made us born again and therefore we believed. Regeneration by the Holy Spirit precedes faith in Christ Jesus. It is God's work from beginning to end. That's the second thing that God did in our salvation experience. He made us alive so that we could believe. The third thing that God did in our salvation experience is also here in this passage. Verse 4 onwards. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God not only loved us, God not only made us alive and regenerated us, God also raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the third thing that God did for our salvation. We're not going to dive into the full and exact understanding of what it really means to be raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's another sermon in itself. We'll come back to it in a few weeks. But today, I want to focus on a very simple question. Why? Why did God love us? Since each of us are so incovetous, insane, curled, curved inward on ourselves, why did God even love us? Why did God regenerate us? Why did God make us alive? Why did God raise us up and seat us with Christ? Why did God love us? What was his motive? Why did God love us? The answer is right here in this passage, verse 7. God did all this, verse 7, so that, verse 7 is giving us the reason why God loved us. Given the reason why God all this, why God did all this. God did all this so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize what this means? This means that God loved us initially so that He may continue loving us forever. God loved us initially so that he may continue loving us forever. In Christ, God loved us initially so that we may con- he may continue loving us eternally. God's motive in loving incovetous, insane beings like us is just to keep on loving us for all eternity. Could we, could we just pause? Could we breathe this in? Could we breathe this into our souls? In Christ, God loved us initially so that he may continue loving us all for eternity. That's why God loved us. Let me go back to the theme of adoption that we hit upon in Ephesians chapter 1 last week. Why do parents adopt a child? Why do parents adopt a child? It's a simple reason. Parents adopt a child so that they could always love the child. Parents adopt a child so that they could always love the child. It's as simple as that. Love is the motive. If this is true with earthly parents, imagine God's love. I would really like every one of us To breathe this in. Breathe this in. In Christ, God loved us initially so that he could love us eternally. In Christ, when God loved us initially, 
he is absolutely committing to love us eternally this is the most foundational the most basic truth about our salvation the moment god loves us once in christ he loves us eternally this has a power to shape our lives just because you've lost your job does not mean god has stopped loving you just because you've spent the last 5 years of your life single and pining away doesn't mean god has stopped loving you just because you've spent the last 5 years of your life in an unhappy marriage does not mean that god has stopped loving you just because you and i we've been sinning and failing as a christian does not mean god has stopped loving us you can bet god is definitely going to discipline us when we go wayward but even this discipline is an expression of his true love for us god disciplines those he loves in the end every one of our disappointments and failures and setbacks will only serve to draw us closer to christ listen in christ god loved you initially so that he could love you eternally that brings us to the third the last thing i would like to draw out for us from this passage one thing we can and should do in our salvation experience we looked at one thing we can never do we looked at three things god does and we're going to look at one thing we should do in our salvation experience what should we do verse 10 for we are his workmanship god's workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them the one thing we can and we should do is good works as an overflow of our salvation experience we simply need to walk in the good works that god has already prepared in advance for us to do and what are these good works that that we are supposed to do the rest of the book of ephesians is actually an exposition of the good works that we are supposed to do in community good works in church good works in marriage good works in our family good works in our workplaces we're going to be looking at it all in the coming weeks that's why we've titled the series new nature new community you know that's how the series is going to unfold but for now let me close with this thought i raised the and i raised and answered the question why did god love us allow me to raise and answer another question how did god love us how did god love us every human being is incubators in say every human being except one the only exception is jesus christ the son of god and son of man all his life jesus lived excavators exe excavators exe is the opposite of incavators inse to live excavators exe is to live turned outward away from ourselves toward god and our neighbors christ jesus was the only man to live 
fully every moment of his life in the fullness of God's original design for every human being, Christ Jesus was the only one who ever lived all his life excavators exe. There's not one moment in the life of Jesus where he was not 100% excavators exe. All his life, he lived with his eyes fixed on what his heavenly father desires and what his fellow brothers and sisters, men and women here on earth needed. He lived for God. He lived for others. He did not live for himself. But the end of his life, 33 years of living utterly selflessly, God placed on him the weight of all of our selfishness. The only human to ever live in perfect righteousness and selflessness died on the cross, bearing the weight of your self-centered life and mine. The only one, the only one who spent all his life looking steadfastly upward toward God and steadfastly, steadfastly outward to every suffering man and woman. That's who Jesus was. He was the only one who spent all his life steadfastly looking upward to God, steadfastly looking outward to, his, to men and women in need. But he died on the cross, his head hanging inward under the weight of not his sin, but ours. When we believe in the sinless life of Christ, in his death, bearing the punishment for your sins and mine, and in his resurrection, every one of us who were in Kuwaitis Inse will one day be turned into a glorious excavators exe that only Christ can bring. How is this going to happen in our lives? I have to confess, I can relate more to incurvators in say at this moment in time than I can relate to excavators exe. How are we going to change? How are incurvators in say people like you and I, how are we going to become excavators exe people like Christ? The answer is surprisingly simple. Have you seen a plant grow? Any plant? Every single plant will always grow towards the light. No power of darkness can ever stop a plant from growing towards the light. Uh, this is because inside every plant, there is a gene called auxin. And this gene, auxin, gives the plant a nature. It's in its very DNA. It, it becomes the plant's nature to grow towards the light. The, the plant does not strive to go towards, grow towards the light. The plant does not work hard to grow towards the light. It's in its nature to grow towards the light. That's what plants do. It's in their nature. They grow towards the light. 
And so when Christ died and rose again from the dead, when, when this passage says we were seated with Christ in the heavenly places, one of the things it means that we have been implanted with the gene of Christ himself within us. This is our new nature. This is what Paul is laboring to help the Ephesian church experience. This is what this passage is calling us to experience. This is our new nature. If indeed we belong to Christ, if indeed God has regenerated us, we will also have this gene and no power of darkness can ever hold us from growing towards the light of Christ. This is our new nature. It takes time. If you've seen a plant, it doesn't grow towards the light overnight. If you've seen trees... They stoop like this and grow towards light. It takes years, weeks, months, a lifetime even. But just, and just as it takes a plant time to grow towards the light, we too in our walk with Christ, we take time to move away from being incubators in say, move towards light to become more and more excavators exe like Christ. It takes time. But in Christ Jesus, the eventual outcome is never in doubt. In Christ, every single one of us who is today incubators in say, will one day become glorious excavators exe beings like our beloved Savior, Christ himself. Let us pray. Spirit of God, we welcome you, Lord. Father, we pray, capture our hearts with the beauty of Christ. Captivate our hearts, Lord. May every cell in our brain, every cell that enables us, gives us the faculty of imagination, may it all turn towards the beauty of Christ as every sunflower always turns towards the sun. We need you, Lord. We need you. I know how much I need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.